is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Baraschetti on ABC Radio WA. A very good afternoon to you. Hope you're doing well this afternoon. Today, I'm wondering how the grain harvest is going at your place because, as you know, there's been some storms, some rains, some hail in some parts of the wheat belt over the last couple of weeks or so, and it's certainly been a bit stop-start for many growers. Hopefully this is the last little bit of winter coming this weekend and then next week it looks a lot more promising with, uh, at this stage, no rain for the whole week. An update on that situation for you shortly. You can let me know what's happening at your place on the text this afternoon. It is 0448922604. And use that text too to let me know the situation for you, your experience in trying to get your hands on a CBH grain contract. They're pretty tricky to come by these days. I'm hearing from a lot of growers. I would love to know what your experience is and if you've had any success or is it a frustrating experience for you. One WA Grain Marketing Advisor is suggesting that CBH now reconsider how it offers cash contracts or use its other products to push the market closer to international prices. I would love to hear your thoughts, your experience, what you know, uh, what you've gone through in terms of trying to secure one of these contracts. And they are uh, sought after because the prices on offer are higher than the competition. Let me know your experience. 0448 922604. We'll look into that in a little more detail shortly. 7 past 12 here on the Country Hour. Well, a lot is riding on a meeting being held right now at the Fair Work Commission. Three unions involved in port operations have suspended protected industrial action and are sitting down with the country's biggest tugboat operator, Schweitzer, to see if they can resolve differences. This industrial dispute is been going on for, well, three years now, and it relates to pay and conditions for tugboat captains engineers and deckhands. If the union and Switzer can't come to some sort of agreement in today's meeting, Switzer has threatened to lock out workers from tomorrow, effectively shutting down many of the nation's ports. Here in WA, that would affect Fremantle, Geraldton, Quinana and Albany. Neil Chambers is the director of the Container Transport Alliance Australia. He says this is already causing disruptions to trade. The unions overnight have suspended their protected industrial action, which they're allowed to undertake under the, the, the current Fair Work Act. Switzer, as the towage operator, has continued to say that the lockout of their workforce will continue from midday on Friday. But I suspect, uh, and I, we hope, um, that the hearing of the Fair Work Commission will bring the parties together, terminate the protected action, uh, meaning that Switzer um, has no need really then to lock out its workforce and hopefully heads will prevail uh, with the Fair Work Commission and they'll be asked to uh, enter into further negotiations on their enterprise agreement. Now, is that a major step, termination of a dispute? Look, this occurred uh, in some of the disputes which were occurring on the waterfront with the container terminals uh, last year. It came to a head within the Fair Work Commission and the protected in industrial action was was put aside and, and ordered not to occur for for a period of months so that the parties could have some clear air 
with the assistance of the Fair Work Commission to, to reach a, a final agreement. And, and in the case of the, the container stevedores at that time, that's what occurred. So you, you would hope that a, a similar action's taken here so we can get the parties back to the negotiating table and to finalise an agreement, which has taken almost three years to, to complete. We'll look at that in just a sec. But if, if that doesn't happen today and the, the lockout goes ahead tomorrow of all those workers, what are the implications for your industry? Well, uh, overnight, uh, several of the major ports, Fremantle and Melbourne, have started to, their, their harbour masters and safety regulators have started to look at the situation of ships alongside or waiting to, to, to come into berth and, and to potentially have those vessels go back out to sea so that they're not uh, uh, caught for any lengthy period of time at the berth. Um, so already we're, we're starting to see, ahead of the lockout, we're starting to see some potential disruption in the movement of vessels. So to and from Australian ports, um, which is devastating really because uh, clearly in the lead up to Christmas, um, importers are still having product coming into the country for Christmas and the new year. Um, that will be disrupted uh, and also our exports. Um, we're well into some of the seasonal exports in Australia and that's the last thing we need is for those exports to be disrupted and, and not meet their contractual obligations overseas uh, for the delivery of commodities. On the agriculture and commodities side, are there particular things there of note? Well, absolutely. Depending on parts of Australia, um, all of our seasonal uh, exports are, are going gangbusters, as they say. So whether it's hay or grain or meat or a whole range of commodities, um, uh, we have fairly buoyant exports uh, at the moment because of the, the the cropping conditions and the like. So the last thing we need is a major, a further major disruption on top of COVID and all the other disruptions that have occurred in the global supply chains over the last couple of years. This is, is just something that we don't need. What uh, advice are you giving to your members at the moment? Well, certainly our members uh, are really captured by the process, unfortunately, because the they're the people who are picking up the containers once they're discharged from uh, from the vessels on import or delivering the exports to uh, to the terminals. They then have to put up with uh, what we call the tsunami effect, where vessels will bunch together, come alongside all together, discharge all of their cargoes, and then you have this mad rush, in a sense, to to, to clear cargoes away from 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 the terminals, the the wharf. Uh, or and is that, is that happening today? Oh, look, absolutely. And and one of the disruptions from an export supply chain point of view is that it means that uh, more containers have to be what we call staged through transport yards. So instead of coming straight from the packing area, whether that be in a regional location or, or elsewhere, straight to the port, which is the much more optimal supply chain, these... Um, Export containers are having to be staged back through transport yards and elsewhere. If they're refrigerated containers, they have to be kept on power. So you, you need to find places to plug the the containers in prior to them being delivered to to the to the wharf for export. And um, so any disruption to that that supply chain uh, means additional cost and additional frustration for everybody in the landside logistics supply chain. Neil Chambers, he's Director of the Container Transport Alliance Australia 
Speaking to David Clawton, the Alliance represents companies involved in the land side logistics of trade, including warehouse operators and road and rail companies. If the unions and Switzer can't come to some sort of agreement with these industrial negotiations, it's our understanding the Fair Work Commission could take the unusual step of terminating the lockout, which would end all protected action and trigger an arbitration process. 13 past 12. Well, if you're playing catch-up on this tug-of-war story, just to recap for you, earlier in the week on Tuesday, you heard Switzer Australia's Managing Director, Nikolai Nose, saying he regrets the situation, but his company has lost patience. This workforce has gone above and beyond in terms of not... That is not him. One moment. While I... Grab the Switzer boss. Here he is. It's a reflection of, frankly, running out of tools to work out an agreement with our unions. And so having been through three years of negotiations and, and frankly, up to this point, a thousand incidents of industrial action being taken against us, this was sort of the ultimate tool, the only tool we had available to us at, at this stage. So, um, yeah, I, I do regret it has come to this. Well, the Maritime Union of Australia is accusing Switzer of economic vandalism over plans to lock out hundreds of tugboat workers at 17 ports around the country. MUA's WA Branch Secretary Will Tracy calls this a total overreaction from Switzer. This workforce has gone above and beyond in terms of not only, only having had a 1.5% pay increase since January 2019 and took two years of wage freezes over 2020 and 2021 at a time where the company is on track to make a $40 billion profit globally. There appears to be no rational reason why this company would react in the manner it has done. They've taken, if we look at the Port of Geraldton, less than one day's action over two years, less than 24 hours industrial action over two years and the response by Spitzer in a completely over-the-top reaction to stoppages of less than 24 hours over two years is to lock this workforce out and shut the ports completely. There'll be no movement of ships um, on an indefinite basis from 9am on Friday. It's just completely bizarre behaviour and a case of economic vandalism by a company that has a monopoly on the state supply chain. Why was this time in particular chosen for the industrial action? Was it to coincide with the harvest? Look, we think it's been to try and position the federal government in relation to its new workplace laws. So they've taken it at a time when the new workplace laws are being debated through the federal parliament and a number of the committees that they put in place to try and deal with it. And to try and get their way uh, in terms of the federal government's laws, they're willing to sacrifice the Australian economy and the West Australian public. So we have a company that's willing to hold the state's economy, the agricultural community, completely to ransom to try and make a point with the federal government. Will Tracy, who is the WA Branch Secretary for the Maritime Union of Australia, and we've just got a message saying that so far nothing has been resolved at that Fair Work Commission meeting and the parties are still going through the court process. During question time in Parliament this week, Shadow Ports Minister Colin de Grassa asked the WA Minister for Ports, Rita Safiotti, to reveal the contingency plans to allow shipping movements to continue at WA Ports in the event of a, a lockout if it goes ahead. 
And he says what is extraordinary is the minister admitted that the McGowan Labor government doesn't have a plan and simply resorted to deflecting responsibility onto individual port authorities. Colin DeGrasse says the reality is each port should be invoking individual business continuity plans, which should cover scenarios such as the loss of tugs to shipping operations. Uh, Hopefully an update for you. Well, if it comes through between now and one, you'll certainly hear it here. Um, But uh, that meeting goes on at the Fair Work Commission today. So any update, you'll hear it across the ABC today. 17 past 12. I'm Bevan Eats from Manjimup, and you're listening to The Country Hour. On ABC Radio WA. A grain, WA grain marketing advisor has used the social media platform Twitter to air his concerns about CBH's contracts that are proving very difficult to secure. In a tweet posted yesterday, Plan Farm's Jerem Critch said, I think CBH's current contracting process has run its course. They had a crack and it worked for a while, but in my opinion, it's now doing more harm than good for CBH and its members alike. It's creating a lot of stress for growers and is just leading to delayed grain selling. Jerem Critch goes on to say, the system also appears to be heavily favouring some members, participants over others, which really goes against CBH's values. I'd suggest CBH reconsider how it offers cash contracts or use its other products to push the market closer to international prices. And that's the end of Jerem's tweet. The prices CBH is offering on these contracts is well above the market, so naturally everyone wants a piece of them, everyone wants one. To manage the demand, CBH has staggered the release of prices by zones and also introduced 200 tonne limits on contracts. But the contracts are being snapped up very quickly. At first, I heard that the contracts were going sort of, you know, in a matter of minutes, say three to five minutes. But now I'm hearing from you know people in the industry that the contracts are going in like one second. So if you've got a slow line speed or you live remotely, you've got very little chance of securing a contract. Even CBH's Chief Marketing and Trading Officer, Jason Craig, said here on the Country Hour earlier in the week that the main reason some farmers are missing out is due to their connectivity. Growers are saying the system is not fair. In fact, I had this analogy put to me earlier today. It's a bit like the speed of your truck determining if you can unload your grain at a CBH site. On Tuesday, CBH emailed to say that as a result of the overwhelming demand for CBH marketing and trading pricing, we are aware that many growers are facing challenges in securing a contract, including because of limited internet connectivity. And the email says that while CBH does not comment on individual grower or advisor accounts, we are also continuing to monitor activity on LoadNet and reserve the right to take appropriate action including suspending accounts when there's been activity contrary to our terms and conditions. Now, rumour has it CBH has suspended some accounts, but CBH has not confirmed that speculation. What CBH has done is email growers to say there are four key actions that growers can consider to market their grain. One, using LoadNet directly is still the best and quickest option for securing CBH contracts. Two, Try platforms to offer your grain so that you become the price maker, 
not the price taker. Three, use CBH pools and the co-op's deferred sales pool opens for nominations on the 5th of December. And then the fourth thing to consider is alternative cash options. So challenge other marketers to match or do better than CBH's pricings. So what do you know? What has been your experience trying to secure a CBH contract? Any luck or no luck? And with the level of frustration, stress and anxiety around these contracts, is it time for CBH to reconsider how it offers cash contracts or use its other products to push the market closer to international prices? There is a flood of texts coming through, and I'm going to get to those through the course of the show. 0448 It would be great to hear your experience, your knowledge on this issue today. 0448 It is 21 past 12. Meanwhile, out in the paddock, some grain growers continue to wait for a break in the weather to get on with the harvest. If you were near Albany or along the south coast on Tuesday... The sun was shining, which allowed some farmers to finally get out in the paddock and get some of that grain off. After a very wet October and some on-again, off-again weather through November, starting harvest has been challenging. Mel Thompson is a mixed farmer based at South Stirling, and he finally hit the header this week. I was hoping with how the season was going that we would be uh, at least a third of the way through the, the program by now, but I think we've taken off 10 hectares, 10 to 12 hectares, so, so we're a fair way behind, but it's all been purely because of the weather. We should get a bit off today, but then the weather comes in again, and by Friday it's supposed to be uh, very wet, windy and cold again. So it's going to be a bit of an on and off harvest for you then? Hopefully not. Hopefully this is the last little bit of winter coming this weekend and then next week it looks a lot more promising with, uh, at this stage, no rain for the whole week. How much rain have you had? Since the start of October we've had about 200 mils. Uh, I think for the year we're just under 600 mils. Our average is probably around 500. How wet are the paddocks at the moment? Uh, They are wet. A lot wetter than they look. Uh, a lot of the water's hidden underneath the crops. So it's just going to be uh, go in and find out what the, what's going to happen uh, when we hit the paddocks. It's going to be uh, an interesting thing, I think. Have you got any precautions in place? I'm actually just inquiring about getting a toe strap for the header so we can get, get the headers out of the bog if they do, do finish up there. But um, apart from that, it's just... Be cautious, um, no trucks allowed in the paddocks, so all trucks to stay on the laneways. How inconvenient is the wet paddocks? Oh, I think everything, it's all inconvenient. You've got to be careful. The live, the sheep side of things, we jetted the sheep for flies back in mid to late uh, September. We are bringing them all back in now because all that chemical's gone and, and flies are starting to to uh, reappear so there's the inconvenience of that you've got the inconvenience of just being behind the longer the crop stays out there the more weathered it gets uh, the yields drop the more potential of it lodging and you know falling falling over and the canola just shattering while it's standing there so you've just started harvesting now when do you think you will be done at this rate uh, usually harvest takes four to five weeks, so I'm still optimistic that we'll finish before Christmas, but 
yeah, the weather, the weather gods will have to be on our sides for that to happen. But yeah, hopefully by Christmas and at the latest by uh, the new year, start of the new year. Mel Thompson, South Stirling mixed farmer, speaking to Sophie Johnson. 25 past 12 and an update from the newsroom for you shortly going through the headlines and then checking the weather around Western Australia. Just seeing if there any more of those um, showers around the wheat belt. We'll go through the four-day forecast for you shortly. To some of these texts that are coming through, it'd be great to hear from you on these CBH contracts and the challenge of trying to secure one of those. There's a lot of frustration, uh, stress, anxiety surrounding these contracts, which are offering the best price. Uh, in the market at the moment. So in response to the contracts, this just through from David in Esperance, CBH contracts are hard to get. Very easy to get ones off the other grain merchants though. Thank goodness they're looking after us and not profiteering, says David. Uh, This too have tried to get a contract nearly every day, totally unsuccessful, and have watched the prices slide in the meantime, costing us thousands of dollars. Bringing back one general pool so that everyone's on the same playing field would be much fairer instead of putting grower against grower in this ludicrous situation where CBH auctions shipping capacity that the company built in the first place. Uh, This through too, why aren't we asking this question? Why aren't the other marketers playing paying a higher price like CBH. Are they taking more profit for themselves? Surely all grain marketers buy grain from a grower for X amount and sell it to a customer for X amount of profit. How about we start holding all grain marketers to account, not just CBH? Uh, This too from Robin Busselton, CBH is a joke. Let's call it how it is. They're playing ducks and drakes with their grain contracts because they hold a monopoly in this area. But they would never try this with their fertiliser contracts as there is simply too much competition and they have to play ball. And then there's this too. We've been fortunate enough to get four contracts over the last few weeks. Happy with what CBH are doing given the circumstances. Would love a bit more positivity on the ABC With regards to the season, most of the state is having a fantastic season, but all we hear is whinging, mostly facilitated by the country hour. When are you getting some of the other traders on to explain why they aren't posting prices comparable to CBH? I guess they don't have to, do they? They know there's limited tonnes at that price and it goes so quickly. I guess that's the answer. Zero double four eight nine double two six zero four is the text. And this text just through too, just saying that hearing on the Bush Telegraph, it's not just some brokers using software bots to get contracts, might be some farmers doing it as well. CBH is supposedly aware of this. That text is zero double four eight nine double two six zero four. It is twenty eight past twelve. And it sounds like warmer spring temperatures are enticing more and more backpackers to come into Western Australia. Jamie Collins manages a Pemberton avocado farm in the state's southwest. And he says at one stage nearly all workers came from Pacific Labor Scheme, but now around 30% are European backpackers, and he is keen to keep them here. They are returning, yeah, in, and now it's summer here, winter over in Europe, so they're moving big numbers now. It is very handy for us and small businesses around do you think it's back to pre-COVID numbers? or Not yet, not yet. And maybe you know, another year or two, but yeah, not, not quite yet. Mm. But we still like the seasonal worker program. We'll, 
we're not going to go all backpackers or anything. We'll, we'll stick with these guys we've got as well. Yeah, and how about housing for backpackers? Where do they stay when they come to town? That is a hard one. Since COVID again, you know, a lot of accommodation it was for them has been taken up by Airbnb, people moving out of city to rural area or buying holiday homes. So they are struggling to find accommodation. The hostels are full, I guess, but it is a concern for backpackers mm-hmm. right now yeah. a lot of guys staying in airbnbs and it's very expensive for them wow. per the week yeah do you think it's becoming the norm for a lot of farms to actually just invest in providing accommodation of their own for workers yeah no, definitely a lot of farms done that we've you know, invested a lot of money into it. we've got you know, rooms for 25 plus people on farm but everyone around our area is doing something similar to try and provide just for that security of workers not for wanting, we don't want to house, but just security of workers. Mm. And you've got some workers that stayed here throughout COVID. They sort of got stuck here, but now they want to permanently stay. Is that right? Yeah, some want to permanently stay. They were backpackers before. Got they didn't want to go home and, and couldn't go home. They couldn't return for a short visit as I wouldn't be able to come back for work. But yeah, they are hoping to stay on with us. But trying to go through the sponsorship process, so the difficulties of that. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a nightmare. What countries are they from? Mostly yeah. Europe. A um, couple of guys from Estonia. It's a bit too close to Russia back home, so they want to stay here. A couple of guys from France and a young German guy. And so what are you doing at the property at the moment? It's just started picking? And we've just started a harvest for the year, yeah. So most guys are out harvesting, and as soon as they harvest, they're pruning right behind them, getting the trees... Yeah back in order for next season I guess. Yeah and there's been a bit of late season rain has that been troublesome or is it welcome? Oh, it, all rain's always welcome. It has slowed up harvest like the, we'd like to be out there picking each day we can but the yeah, rain's just slowing it down but can't complain too much compared to the guys over in the east coast where they're suffering pretty bad I think a lot worse than us. That is true. Pemberton avocado farmer Jamie Collins speaking to Georgia Hargreaves. It is 29 to 1 here on the Country Hour and Brianna Shepherd is in the studio. What's making the headlines? Hello. An 18-year-old Perth man has been fined $3,500 for making a gun using a 3D printer. Jack Christopher Spooner had pleaded guilty to six charges, including unlicensed manufacture and possession of a firearm. The magistrate said there wasn't any criminal intention and he was granted a spent conviction. Myanmar state media is reporting Australian economist Sean Turnell will be released from prison today. Professor Turnell is expected to be released alongside almost 6,000 other prisoners as part of an amnesty for Myanmar National Day. He was detained five days after the military seized power in a coup early last year. Professor Turnell was in Myanmar working as an economic advisor to the now deposed leader Aung San Suu Kyi. And South Korea's military chiefs say the North has fired a ballistic missile towards the sea off its east coast. It comes hours after the North Korean foreign minister threatened what she's described as fiercer military responses to US plans to bolster security with its regional allies, South Korea and Japan. More news on the hour. Thank you so much for that, Brianna. 28 to 1. You're with Belinda Varasgetti on the Country Hour on ABC Local Radio WA. And you're keen to have your say on the state's main grain handlers, the CBH Group's contracts and the challenge of getting your hands on one of those very popular contracts at the moment. This from Michael. CBH can't win in this marketing situation. What do growers want CBH to do? Lowering the price would be playing into the hands of the other grain buyers and delivering an overall lower price for WA growers. We have got some contracts and that is with limited internet 
don't blame CBH in this situation. CBH is definitely not perfect, but in this grain market situation, they're trying to assist WA growers. Thank you for that, Michael. Uh, Jane in Meriden says, the elephant in the room is the fact the other grain merchants are 120 to $150 less than international prices. State Parliament needs to do an inquiry into collusion as it will cost the state billions. Thank you for that, Jane. That text, 0448 922 Still to come between now and one the details of today's Mount Barker cattle market for you. And Australia's biggest cattle company, AACO, has today released its half-yearly financial results. It's a little bit little bit good, a little bit bad. The Managing Director, David Harris, will go through the details for you. Off to the Bureau of Meteorology now, and Caroline Crow is with you this afternoon. Caroline, some cool temperatures on the way for some agricultural areas. Take us for a look around the Southwest Land Division. Yeah, sure. Definitely, Belle. Uh, there is some cooler temperatures on the way. So at the moment, uh, it's onshore airstream over sort of the southwest land division as well at the moment, which is pushing uh, showers uh, over the coast and quite far inland as well. So they're getting as far inland as Meriden and Newtigate, uh, so those eastern parts of the southwest land division and always getting and also getting up into northern parts as well, so into Dalwallanu and into the central wheat belt area. And then coming into tomorrow, so what's going to happen or overnight tonight, there's a cold front that's going to move through uh, overnight tonight and through the early hours of tomorrow morning uh, through the southwest. So it's going to be near the Capes around um, midnight, just after midnight, and gradually move north and east and sit near Perth. Um, so during the uh, near sunrise and then gradually move further north and east. Now with that cold front uh, moving through, uh, rainfall totals at this point in time are looking for sort of along that western south coast so the Albany area through sort of Augusta and sort of east out to Bremer Bay as well around 15 to 20 millimetres and you might get isolated falls to 20, 25 millimetres up the west coast sort of towards the Perth area and just north we're looking at 10 to 15 millimetres with isolated 20 millimetres and then as you get a little bit further inland through the southwest district into the uh, southern coastal district and um, around that Esperance area for Falls are about four to eight millimetre mark and then getting into the Great Southern, um, they'll be similar four to eight millimetres and then just gradually ease off a little bit, less than five mils as you go further north and northeast through the southwest land division. As that cold front moves through, uh, there is potentially thunderstorms as well and it's a pretty cold air mass behind the cold front. So uh, we are going to have those cooler temperatures as you mentioned in coming days and potentially we could see some hail tomorrow as well in the southwest corner. Looking about Bunbury, uh, down through to uh, the South Albany and along the south coast around to Bremer Bay. So there's a risk of hail as well. Um, coming into temperatures, we're looking at uh, coming into mainly on sort of, there'll be less tomorrow on Friday and then also on Saturday as well. So we're looking at 6 to 12 degrees below average for this time of the year uh, in the cold air mass behind the cold front and then the southerly wind is going to be maintained as uh, the ridge pushes through coming into sort of gradually more on Saturday and Sunday. So overnight 
uh, sorry, temperatures coming into Friday along the southwest corner. Some of those places could be around the 12, 13 degree mark. Great southern areas are sort of four, around the mid-teens um, and then getting into the central wheat belt and sort of 17, 18 degrees. So pretty cold for this time of the year. And then overnight temperatures as well are going to drop off with the coldest morning being uh, overnight Friday into Saturday morning where we could see temperatures 2 to 3 degrees through northern parts of the Great Southern and into uh, southern parts of the central wheat belt there. So there is a slight risk of uh, frost on that Saturday morning but then as uh, we progress through uh, into the um, Sunday morning and early next week we'll see some of those temperatures starting to rise um, with the um, ridge push through from sorry going back to showers uh, coming into Saturday um, and gradually Sunday Sunday, with that ridge pushing through after the cold front continues to move east showers are going to contract more to those southern districts and the western districts south of Perth um, and then gradually contract even further south on Sunday with generally clear conditions through the southwest land division coming into uh, Monday uh, as that ridge continues to push through and we get more into a summer-like pattern with a trough developing down the west coast. Well, there's a bit going on there in the southwest land division. Is it as busy in northern parts and eastern parts, Caroline? So in the north and east, what's happening at the moment is the trough is extending down from the Kimberley through eastern parts of the state into the Eucla, and we've also got a deepening cold front uh, just in the wake of the uh, trough as well. So we're getting quite a few showers and thunderstorms uh, at the moment, uh, mostly in the southeast through eastern parts of the gold fields into the Eucla, um, and there is potentially those thunderstorms could be severe with uh, heavy rainfall uh, gusty winds and also potentially large hail. Uh, So there is a warning out for that area at the moment. And then as you get further north uh, following the trough into the Kimberley, um, thunderstorms have eased off a little bit uh, from what we had earlier this morning, but potentially we could see them redeveloping again uh, during the day. And we could also have windy uh, thunderstorms or quite gusty thunderstorms uh, into the Kimberley and Uh, the interior as well and potentially also heavy rainfall. So the Kimberley uh, got uh, some heavy rainfall out of thunderstorms yesterday with some places getting up to 60 millimetres. And then today, the warnings, what have you got? Uh, Yes, so currently for the warnings, uh, there is a severe uh, thunderstorm warning for the southeastern parts, as I mentioned just before. So that's for the Eucla, parts of the Goldfields and Southern Interior District. And then there is also a fire weather warning for the North Goldfields fire weather district and also marine warnings uh, today for the southwest corner. So the Lewin coast around to the Esperance coast and then also uh, for tomorrow, the coastal wind warnings will extend further north all the way up to uh, the Pilbara coast and east to the Eucla coast. Thank you so much. That was a bit to get through. I appreciate it, Caroline. It is 21 to 1 here on the Country Hour. Weather Wally says only a maximum of 13 degrees in Manjimup tomorrow. On to the rainfall figures now with Richard Hudson. Yeah, then in the northern and eastern forecast districts, again, the majority of the rain in the Kimberley, Billaluna with five, El Questro 40, Halls Creek Airport six, Kununurra at the airport 32, Marion Downs six, Nicholson 11, Sophie Downs nine, and Warman 60. And then in the Pilbara, a bit of rain as well, De Grey five, Pardue 10, Telford nine, and Yarry nine as well. In the interior, Prenti Downs received 12 mils, and in the goldfields, Kalgoorlie Boulder Airport had seven and then it was pretty patchy in the southwest land division in the central west 
Port Denison topped it with four. In the lower west, Wanneroo topped it with four. And then in the southwest, Walpole Forestry had seven. A number of other places had between one and three and four, uh, but nothing more. In the southern coastal region, Denbarker, five mils over four days, but beaten by Mount Howick with eight. In the central wheat belt, Babakin topped it with four. And then in the great southern region, Coolin, five, and Newtigate had between four and five mils in that area. And that's it. Thank you for that, Richard. 20 to 1. You're with Belinda Varischetti on the Country Hour on ABC Local Radio, WA. Just on those CVH contracts, a couple more texts I'll slot in here. This from Blue Ace, a tamble up. Uh, invite AWA, AWB or one of the other grain traders to explain why their prices are $150 less than the international prices and $50 less than the CBH prices. CBH is offering much better prices which reflect the international market, even though they have no obligation to do this and would make more buying grain for less. But since it's a cooperative, it's doing the right thing for us. But they can't do this for the whole crop hence why it's hard to get a contract. People who are against CBH are angry at the wrong people, says Blue. Thank you for that, Blue. And Sam says, we want CBH to invest in shipping. They've missed the mark, invested in fertiliser and milling, etc., when they should have been focusing on their core business shipping and handling. The board should be sacked, says Sam. Zero double four eight nine double two six zero four. 18 to 1, and just before 1, off to Mount Barker for the results of the cattle market. And speaking of cattle, Australia's biggest cattle company, AACO, has today released its half-yearly financial results, and it's a bit of a mixed bag. Its operating profit, compared to the same period last year, has jumped nearly 30% to $38 million, but its net profit after tax has fallen 37%. With his thoughts on the last six months of business, here's AACO Managing Director, David Harris. I think it's been a really good six months. I think it was really pleasing to be able to announce an improved result on uh, on the first six months of last year. I think we're continuing to drive revenue, drive value for shareholders, and we've got some really good, interesting strategies in place that are certainly starting to and continuing to pay dividends for us. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, David. I've got AACO's net profit after tax has fallen 37% year on year and it's down 62% compared to what was posted in the yearly results there in May. Now why is that? Yeah that's right. So that statutory result takes into account fair value of livestock and so compared to uh, this time a year ago I suppose those livestock values didn't increase as they did back then so there was actually a slight decrease in actual kilo valuations versus those periods. So that's where the real difference comes from um, in those livestock valuations versus its first six months in the prior year. Does that explain the total story though? Because as was mentioned in the presentation, cattle prices are, quote, slightly down from the record highs. So there's a drop of 37%. Is there something else going on? No, not at all, mate. We've got really good operating profit figures, which is what we prefer to talk to as a as an indicator of how the business is going uh, more broadly. Like I said, that statutory piece is largely a, a factor of those other valuations that for all purposes are outside our controls. Meat sales are on the up. 
including in Europe and Middle East. Can you tell us the story there? Yeah, they are. That was principally, like we said in the presentation, it's a it's a moving. Uh, you know, we we took some products out of some other markets, uh, including Australia and into there. It's a really good food service market, and so as food service rebounded with everyone coming out of COVID, those markets certainly took off probably uh, a little bit faster and a little bit stronger than some others. And so we redirected product into there to take advantage of those increased prices and demand relative to other markets that we operate in. And Australia, your home now takes just 7% of total meat sales for AACO. Has it ever been that low? Yeah, good question. It probably hasn't from a total percentage-wise perspective. But again, that's us making the blend and and making decisions around where we can extract the best value for the product. We've got a lot more competition in Australia and so we've found better markets overseas. We've always been predominantly export-focused, but again, that's around we go where the money is and where we think the markets that are that we can continue to grow. Now, with all that said, Australia is a very important market for us and like we said it is our home and and we think it's super important so we have specific locations in in the major you know in the capital cities that we work with we've done some great activations with chefs in australia so we're continuing to drive price and value in in the australian market but yeah in in this period that we're talking about there was better opportunities elsewhere away from the numbers aaco is carrying out a trial feeding asparagopsis, the seaweed, to some of its stock. How is that going? Good question. We're about midway through that trial. So it's a, it's a longer trial because it's more specifically aimed around feeding asparagopsis to Wagyu cattle. So that's a you know circa 300-day-plus program. So we're about halfway through that. I won't talk to specifics of those details at this stage. It's commercial and confidence, and, and we're working through that with our partners. But... It is a real opportunity for us to utilise it going forward as part of our more broader application of trying to affect and improve our imprint on that methane side of things. And so I'm really positive about its opportunity, but I don't think there's a silver bullet in any one of of these products. I think it'll be a, a broad range of multiple products that we'll need to use. Obviously, the government's signed up to the the methane pledge so you know which is something we're not opposed to but there is a lot of work to still be done in that i don't think there's any one product out there today that's going to get beef or get agriculture more broadly to that 30 percent reduction so Uh, can i ask though which product do you think's got the bigger future seaweed or synthetic (laughs) products that do the exact same thing yeah look that's a it's an interesting one and i think it's it's one that probably the market will answer and the customers will answer more than I. I think it's a courses for courses situation. I think both products have a place in the market. Obviously, some of the challenges of these things is actually mode of transport or, or mode of delivery. And so I think some of those synthetics may have a better opportunity for delivery out in our broader pastoral type operations. But there is no doubting that the asparagopsis has a wonderful organic story to it, has a, has a wonderful, you know, more natural story to it that I'm sure there are customers out there that will be more than comfortable to pay a premium for a, a product of that nature. On the investor presentation this morning, you raised biosecurity and how there's a 28% chance of lumpy skin disease getting into Australia within the next five years. 
for average investors out there looking at the stock market, why is AACO a good buy when there's that sort of threat lingering? Look, I think it's 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 a balance of a lot of things. Why is AACO a, a good buy? I think we're doing some really good things in agriculture and, and specifically beef production. But sustainability-wise, I think there's a lot of good stories behind AA. If we talk specifically to the lumpy skin disease and that 28% likelihood of incursion in the next five years there's no doubting that's a challenge and that's something that we're working towards you know we're developing our own biosecurity plans property by property we've got multiple different locations in multiple different regions and whilst yes we are predominantly northern territory and queensland our value chain and how we extract revenue i think is very diverse across the country and so i i think we're in a really good spot to be as resilient as possible if something like that does happen to Australia and as well as, you know, we'll be in the best position to try and come out the other side of it as fast as anyone and strongly. AACO's Managing Director and CEO, David Harris with Matt Brand, 11 to 1. All wool bales in Australia will come fitted with electronic tracking from next year as the wool industry moves to a more traceable system. The electronic bale or e-bale is an effort to eliminate paperwork and contains a QR code and microchip that links to information including the type of wool, quality test results and farm of origin. AWEX CEO Mark Graves says the technology has been put to the test commercially and it looks good. All of the trials that we've done have absolutely been crucial in two aspects. One, to make sure that we have confidence in their technology, that it works not just on farm but it works through the supply chain, through the dump both here domestically and also overseas. So that's certainly number one. Number two is to make sure that we can roll it out across Australia at the same time. So what we've learned is, one, we have confidence in the technology, and number two, we have acceptance from the wool industry and stakeholders. That includes growers, we have it from the brokers and the warehouses that do the storing of the wool, but also from overseas, from our customers, both in China and also in Europe. So what's the time frame at the moment with regards to the rollout next year? Well, I suppose the, the important part is the immediacy or the, the need has grown substantially since concerns about FMD outbreaks and also the biosecurity. And also now that traceability is such a big part of uh, every conversation across industries, but also with governments. So the rollout's going to happen a lot quicker than, than most people would have expected. So... From the 1st of January this year, the new RFID or e-bail label will be available to, to buy from by the manufacturers of Woolpacks. So I'm expecting that the first commercial batches of e-packs or e-bail packs will be coming into Australia around about February, March, probably March next year. And then from the 1st of July, only the e-bail pack will be able to be imported. So does that mean you physically won't be able to get an old pack past July without one of these tags? You won't be able to get them imported to Australia without the, without the tags, without the, te- without the technology. But often there's a concern about, well, what do I do with my current pack? Or what do I do with my purchases that I've made this year or I still have lying in the shed. The existing packs will still be able to be used within the system and, and rolled out through the coming months and years. So there's no, no issue with that. But there is a real interest and a real need to turn to technology 
as soon as we possibly can to embrace what we have and leverage the use of technology, not just in logistics and warehousing operations, but in terms of improving our traceability of wool through the supply chain. So forgive me here, I'm going to quote you back to yourself here. Uh, Buyers will be able to trace the product back to the farm, but equally the grower will be able to trace their product through the supply chain to see where it goes. Those systems still have to be developed, but this technology is the foundation or will be built upon. You said that last year while we were talking about this. Has that system been built yet? Part of it has been built. There is the ability to use the technology to provide provenance information. There are traceability systems that are being built not only with ourselves but I know with AWI and there'll be others as well. So it's still in that growth phase. The important part about the introduction of eBail is that it will also assist in making that happen. So it's a matter of starting that journey and and, uh, we want to start that as soon as possible. One of the other things we were talking about not long ago is the fact that you are combining your electronic wool information systems with those of AWI down the road. Is the goal to then implement that with this? Wool Clip Wool, which is the product we have for capturing the information and the wool data on farm, that will uh, give growers an option to transfer their information to WoolQ, which is the AWI product will certainly have the ability to utilise the information as it comes through. So I suppose putting everything in in its place, number one is that we have the technology available not only for the unique ID but also to be able to capture it on farm and then transfer it to the broker or warehouse of choice and to WoolQ for those who want to use it for analytical and supply chain purposes beyond that. AWEX CEO Mark Grave speaking to Luke Radford about the rollout of the electronic wool bale next year. Just to recap, the e-bale will be available from January next year alongside traditional wool packs, but will be the only option available for purchase come July. The introduction of the technology will cost 60 cents per pack. Six to one. Now, I want you to meet 21-year-old Zoe Warsfold because she's following in her mother's footsteps in becoming a butcher. Zoe recently started her butcher's apprenticeship under the guidance of another female role model, 22-year-old Georgia Rutter, who is a co-owner of a Donnybrook butcher shop in the state's southwest. Mum, yeah, she loved the idea of me being an apprentice butcher, taking after her steps and stuff, so that was good. I also went to Harvey Ag College and did a bit there of butchering, so that helped as well and I enjoyed it there so yeah. What's it like? What do you do every day? Well it's, it's easy working with a great crew so yeah so far I love it um, um, I do a bit of everything I'm really fortunate I guess being a mature apprentice I get to do a lot more than probably younger apprentices um, having the more life skills I guess being older so learning the more advanced things um, every day so that's yeah that's good. There's it's a pretty small team here, um, and but you've got two girls out of, like, five people. How does that... That must be pretty awesome to have. Yeah, no, it's really good having another girl um, keep the, the boys in line. And um, <laughs> that's what everyone asks me every day, all the customers. Oh, you're keeping the boys in line? So, yep, we are. Um, and, yeah, having a girl boss as well is, is great. And it's easy when Jordan, Bryn and Mason have the passion, and it just... It's easy when they have the passion there, so like it rubs off on you. And I love um, that steak's not just a steak, there's so much more to it. And 
yeah. Does um, seeing Brennan Georgia like inspire you that maybe you know one day you could have your own shop? What's your future plan? Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, no, that'd be cool. Um, if that opportunity came up about, I would definitely love to. But um, for now, I'd love to just finish my apprenticeship and then maybe go around Australia or even just like the world being a butcher. Um, I think that would be pretty cool, experiencing different people and cultures and stuff. So yeah. Do you ever go home and? Um chat with your mum about tips and tricks and like how how's she going with it yeah she's she always asks how it's going and um and says how I do things and like tells me how to do stuff better and says come on Zoe we're sharpening knives today come learn or whatever but yeah sometimes yeah Zoe Worsfold and Georgia Rudder from Donnybrook Butchers speaking to Ellie Honeybone. And you can see Zoe and Georgia in Ellie's online story just search ABC Southwest and butcher to take a look at it to the markets to Mount Barker where the cattle sale is still going 1,849 header on offer which is up more than 600 on last week Tracy Kilner can you go through the details so far so we had a quality lineup of wiener cattle dominating the numbers with 176 wiener steers weighing in over 380 kilos on offer the lighter weight wiener steers gained while the heavier weights eased slightly Demand for heavy bulls and cows saw prices down 80 cents a kilo for bulls and 40 cents a kilo for cows. Wiener steers sold from 580 to 658 cents for the lightweights. Medium weights returned 542 to 626 cents and the heavy weights made 420 to 572 cents. Extra heavy wiener steers sold from 438 to 536 cents a kilo. Wiener heifers returned 398 to 500 cents for lightweights. 400 to 502 cents for the medium weights and 436 to 508 cents for heavy calves over 330 kilos. The yielding steers eased, making 484 to 496 cents. Yielding heifers eased as well, selling from 405 to 452 cents a kilo. Grown steers weighing under 500 kilos made 366 to 464 cents. Heavy weights returned 396 to 440 cents. And bullocks over 600 kilos sold for 340 to 394 cents a kilo. The grown heifers weighing under 540 kilos sold from 350 to 438 cents. And heavier weights made 332 to 366 cents a kilo. Heavy prime cows sold from 212 to 312 cents. Store cows made 150 to 258 cents to average 197 cents a kilo. A large yarding of lighter bulls sold from 220 to 362 cents and heavy bulls made from 170 to 252 cents a kilo. This has been Tracy Kilner for Meat and Livestock Australia's National Livestock Reporting Service. It is a minute away from one o'clock and just on the challenge of securing a CBH contract, a few more texts to clear. Murray in South Albany says CBH load net is like a bad gambling app. Very few winners and lots of disappointed punters who will be back again tomorrow to try. This too from Graham. I think CBH is doing the right thing. It's all the slimy grain traders are the ones causing the damage here. If farmers could band together and not sell any grain, maybe we could force them to push their prices up. But unfortunately, farmers don't do this sort of thing anymore. It's too much of a dog-eat-dog environment. So obviously, this is what happens. Thank you for all your texts today. It is time to take you back to Adelaide Oval now for the first one-day international cricket match 